What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another week of what's going on pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? Not much, man. We here. Content minds are rolling. Lots of yeah. music. This is the, the music week, and next week is the, the movie week. So uh, hold on to your butts, people, because we got lots of <laughs> movies to talk about and lots of music to talk about this week. But we will also touch on a, a show that was much anticipated for its return, as well as a uh, the first Ridley Scott movie to come out this year, which uh, weird to say the first because uh, we're getting multiple Ridley Scott movies in a year. Who knew? He's 83. Um, yeah, he's and he's working. Um, give us that subscribe if you're watching on YouTube.com slash Nostalgia Pod. Go to SoundCloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod to follow the podcast any other way you'd like to. And also at Nostalgia Pod on Twitter. Dave, we're going to start with some K-pop. Aespa dropping Savage, the first mini album. And, uh, you know, as we've been doing a lot of these K-pop albums, I feel like we're always like, yeah, this group has been around for like 10 years and has all this music. But this is our first time talking about them. That's not the case this time. It's kind of nice to be uh, not super far behind and catching up on these artists, huh? That's true. Yeah, Aespa, uh, with this EP has a whopping nine official tracks. They debuted as a K-pop four-piece in November 2020. To this point, they had released three singles, and now there's a six-track EP on top of all that. So definitely a change of pace from, say, EXO or NCT and all its myriad subunits, of which we've talked about recently as well. That's uh, definitely different. And... I think they are notable just to discuss uh, for a number of reasons. And we're actually a little late to this, this album or this, you know, this EP, this mini album came out back on October 5th. So about two weeks ago, but I think they're important for a few reasons. One would be that they're actually the first SM girl group to debut since Red Velvet, meaning since 2014, they don't do this often. So the fact that they are, you know, confident enough in the new group to actually make them an official active, you know, musical act, I think says a lot, you know, probably, I think a little bit of this has to do with girls generation uh, going on seemingly long hiatus. So there was a void to fill, but either way, uh, Espa is now here and they've had a lot of success already. Two of those earlier singles, Black Mamba and uh, Next Level have been big hits already getting TikTok presence. And now you have this new EP. And I think like production wise, there's a little bit of a difference than what we've talked about recently with a lot of the uh, other SM acts, you know, a lot, lot more synth uh, heavy on the yep. production here, which I think definitely stands out. Right. Cause when we think about like electronic production and K-pop of late of the past, like 10 years that we've, you know, been referring to, it's a lot more like house and like big, you know, bass drops and stuff that's not quite as a, you know, modern normally, right? So a mm-hmm. bit of a change of pace. Yeah, definitely a bit of a change of pace. But I have to say, I found myself really enjoying this uh, this six track album, uh, mini album, and yeah, I didn't really like the first track that much, um, energy. But yep. I thought I thought it really picks up with Savage. Um, that's really the first song that popped off to me. And the title track is just an absolute banger. I thought. Yeah, totally. I mean, Savage is probably one of the more traditional songs here because it's just a contemporary K-pop banger. Mm-hmm. Room for big rap verses, a sung bridge, dance breaks you know electronic production it's all these hallmarks we've been discussing with everyone who's been dropping this year there's always one song like this on every k-pop project it feels like but it's also for a reason because it works these are just great bangers you know and i actually think they they do go pretty hard with the rapping which which Mm -hmm. i obviously appreciate they're not like half-assing it at all um and yeah so i I love savage uh, the track as well and the fourth song yeppy yeppy i also yeah. thought was, was really awesome just the bounce in that beat like just that that tempo was sick and then yeah. on top of that the chorus is still excellent you know mm-hmm. yeah no I, I completely agree probably the most fun track on out of the six like just really makes you want to move makes you want to just like 
get up out of your, your your chair which i mean a lot of these songs have that quality but this one specifically just like you mentioned the tempo and just the energy stays up the whole time which doesn't really happen on every track here something like lucid dream starts out a little bit more low-key and stays a little bit more low-key throughout um even uh like the first track energy i thought wasn't like super energetic i thought there were points when it obviously mm-hmm. rose up but kind of stayed more low which i appreciate because i, I think sometimes these like you mentioned uh these k-pop tracks can feel cookie cutter and especially if they these groups aren't pushing themselves to be creative the album can feel a bit samey and a bit same energy level so i appreciate mm-hmm. them going up and down a bit on this actually Totally. And I think there's one other notable piece to us, but it's funny to like find so many like tidbits of things to latch onto for a group that again, only has nine songs out, but there's a big uh, theme through line with their music this, through this first year in terms of these like futuristic visuals and these like science fiction, like narratives that are kind of following the group in their music and especially in their visuals and their music videos. And if you watch the Savage music video for the track, uh, they're at the end, they're dancing along their like virtual, like AI, like avatars. And apparently these uh, virtual avatars, these counterparts are kind of accompanying them throughout a lot of their visuals. So it's, it, it's definitely, I think, a, a, n- a new thing, you know, in terms of like, the world of NFTs, the world of, you know, ev- everything uh, electronic to see this carrying over into music in this fashion, you know, like actually like factoring into the creative side of things. I'll, we'll be curious to see if this continues, but I think definitely something that stood out to me just for being a little different, a little new. Absolutely. No, I, I, I think this is a group, uh, like I said, I'm glad to be in somewhat on the ground floor with them only nine tracks into their career. So one we can definitely track and see the, the whole arc ourselves live. Um, but Dave, I think, uh, I think it's time to move on to, the rap world a bit here and someone that you know we, this was a album espas that was two weeks ago maxo cream just dropped today yeah. <laughs> look at us being right on top of this one um <laughs> you know and, and shout out maxo right so he's 27 been making like dropping mixtapes since 2012 so not necessarily new to the game but I don't believe we reviewed Brandon Banks a few years back, right? When he, the first Rock Nation album. No, we did actually. I don't think you we got did. to it on time, but we did listen to that one. Yes, his so second Dave album, did. following uh, his debut album, Pumpkin from 2018. And actually, looking on Wikipedia, it says he's 31. So oh. he he. Not, either way, he's not a new on the scene. He's not a young a young buck. I wouldn't say. Obviously, right. Houston, Texas rapper. Not as famous as Travis Scott or Megan Thee Stallion, but I still think he's quite notable. And I think anyone who listens to him at this point would know that because he's got a really solid body of work through three albums. I think that's kind of undeniable. Yeah, I mean, going into this and obviously not having listened to the last one, um, I was unsure if I was going to leave this really impressed. And I have to say the first two tracks off this album I was like, oh, no, this is going to be a tough 40 minutes to get through. And then we get to They Say, and I felt like the album really picked up for me. And I was really impressed with this. Uh, I think not only um, did his delivery grow on me as I as I worked my way through, but the features he gets out of people on this and just the overall like production on the, the album after the first two tracks really worked for me. What do you think of Weight of the World, though? Yeah, I liked it. Uh, I like Brandon Banks a lot, too probably like Brandon Banks a little bit more. I actually had Meet Again, one of the singles off that album in the top 10 for 2019. So obviously I've had a high uh, opinion of him for some time now. Uh, but I still think all those trademarks that you expect for Max O'Cream if you're up on his music, they're still here. Like you said, his flow, it's not usually the most like comp- complicated flow, but I still think it's like really fun. And he obviously knows how to match it with good production in like a really effective way like he knows uh how he likes to rap you know i just think it sounds good and more importantly he's a really engaging storyteller and i think he actually backs it up with introspective lyrics you know when we talk about like rappers from the streets often the lyrics are more inconsistent but i think he's always had this strength you know he speaks a lot about uh 
his family, like actually on the first track, uh, uh, Kripschen, he remarks on whether his sick grandma got COVID from him, you know, things like that coming up. Uh, he's always kind of think looked inward while still not uh, being afraid to speak on his uh, mm-hmm. more uh, illicit past, as it were. Obviously, he did do time for uh, moving weight and all that. So all, all the trademarks are still here. But as you said, there are some notable features on yeah. Weight of the World. And yeah, man. They deliver. I, I was, uh, I mean, I have to say, we got a lot of ASAP uh, Rocky this weekend. And this was probably my favorite showing from him out of all the the different tracks we heard him on, obviously on the Young Thug album as well right. that we're going to get to. But I thought he was great on Streets Alone. I thought they played off each other really, really well. Hell yeah. Uh, can't wait for the next ASAP solo album, man. Really, really need that to come out from Rocky. <laughs> yeah, but he's great on this. I thought Tyler was like a, I mean, he's Christ. the first feature on this and like leads yeah. a run of features, but he's just absolutely fire and maybe having like the best rap year out of anybody right now. Yeah, honestly, that, that, that's probably the right take. Notably, Big Persona was also produced by Tyler, the creator. Everyone knows Tyler's an underrated producer. He doesn't produce all that often, but when he does, uh, stands out. It's really funny, like that that uh, that song, Big Persona, mm-hmm. just this big beat, and, and, and then Tyler just flexing on everyone for the hook. Yep. And it, it kind of reminded me of his Hot 97 interview he did after Call Me If You Get Lost came out where he's just basically just bragging about all his accomplishments and telling all the haters to fuck off. And I was like, oh, you actually kind of distilled that into a guest feature. That sounds really awesome. But either yeah. way, like Tyler can match Maxo's energy in terms of being really uh, brash and confident, yeah. you know, and mean that beat. So I think that song's awesome. Yeah, man. I actually feel like this whole run in the middle from Big Persona up and through the Freddie Gibbs song, uh, What I Look Like, or the Freddie Gibbs guest mm-hmm. verse, just really works for me the whole way through. Um, there's a, a couple others after that that I really liked as well, but I just thought that run was by far my favorite. Um, what other tracks stood out to you, though? Yeah, I like, like lo- Local Joker, which is in that run there. Um, mm-hmm. Again, like there's kind of like a matter-of-factness with Maxwell's lyric- lyricism that can often come across. Like He can get his message. Uh, you know, across in it, I think a really economical way. Again, he doesn't have the most complicated flow, but he seems to still say a lot, uh, which is which is cool. And I also really like Greener Knots, which is produced by Hit Boy. I think that beat kind of really picks it up towards the end. Yeah, Greener Knots is one that stood out to me. I also thought Mama's Purse sounded pretty good. I, you know, I think when I first was listening to him, I was a little bit like. His his like delivery or maybe his his vocal performance throughout the album reminds me a little bit and not necessarily like not necessarily because of anything other than the way that they deliver, but twenty one because he's very like mm. monotone at times and just kind yes. of like flat, but then it just really works for him and like yeah. their their voices are so different and obviously like twenty one has like a low but still kind of like high pitch at times, but he's just total like baritone uh maxo right. and it's it's really uh just cool to like tune into him and i i also heard uh i forgot which track it was on i think it was maybe the the third one there um sorry uh they say where he right. drops like a scooby-doo line um <laughs> at one point and i just was like oh he, he can like bring some funny lines at times too so yeah uh versatile but also uh his own style for sure really yeah appreciate it, it's style. like a different spin on griselda if you're if you find the griselda guys uh, appealing that that type of rap that type of lyricism max was very much uh you know cut from the same cloth but still has you know his own identity that houston spin all that yeah well i think we enjoyed the max so we're probably gonna put a uh song of his on our now best of 2021 on spotify Dave, is Kirk Knight going to get a song on there, though? Ah, that's a different question, my friend. <laughs> Kirk Knight, Kirk uh, Neasy, did not expect this album to come out. I just did been not on my radar, you know. Uh, obviously, pro eras, Kirk and I, we talked about the last album, It Is What It Is, back in 2018. And obviously, since then, we talked about the Beast Coast album in 2019, of which he was a major part of. Uh, and then this comes out, third record. And... Yeah, uh, it, he he's changing up what he does. So I don't know how how did you feel about After Dark, the third Kirk Knight record? I want to say, uh, 
don't remember a lot about it is what it is except for the fact that we couldn't figure out what the uh, acronym stood for i believe that's right <laughs> yeah so someone, we were like, someone got us in the comments for that <laughs> yeah shout out shout out to that that guy um yeah i didn't really enjoy this album that much yeah <laughs> just being like on, honest um i don't think it's necessarily bad i think i just found it to be very like samey and um obviously it's a little a little more like sing-songy and like airy and light which you know cool i appreciate the swing and, and like most artists who switch things up like you they should step outside their box but it just did not bring the energy i guess i was hoping for what about you yeah you know i think if you know the more you know about kirk knight uh it, it, i guess it makes a little bit more sense you know back when it is what it is uh actually my favorite song off that album, uh, Downtime, which got the video, that is a much more melodic uh, song performance from Kirk. Kirk, of course, came up as a teenager alongside his close friend, Joey Badass. They came up as boom bap revivalists, classic hip hop indebted sound. Joey has moved away from that, at least not doing it all the time, as we know. Kirk also doing the same thing. And I, I remember when they did the Beast Coast uh, album press, uh, they all kind of like making fun of Kirk, calling him R&B Kirk. And like he, he clearly has been going down this path for a few years now. Even think of the Coast Clear Hook off the Beast Cult album. He's kind of singing it. His left-hand verse, kind of melodic. But this new album, After Dark, I just think he took it way too far, you know? Yeah, I, I like him as a rapper. You know, the the, the Nick and Knight album with Nick Caution. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. they, they they paired great together. That shit was great. But this, like you said, it feels samey, but more importantly, it just doesn't sound special. And Kirk's kind of been like a secret weapon for Pro Air and Beast Coast as a uh, you know, a, a, a producer, as a as a writer. Um, you know, he, he produced ASAP Ferg's Plain Jane. A lot of people don't know that, you know, he, he's a talented guy and is a big, big part of Joey's early success. But I think as a soloist going down this path, you know, it, maybe he can get there because he is a quite a talented guy and has, has some versatility, which is being shown here. But I just think it was the, his, his identity is just kind of lost uh, when he went this far down the R&B, you know, melodic route. Yeah. Um, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head and, you know, it's not only like the melodic route, but it's just like very um, like produced. And this album is very uh, it, I mean, it sounds like he's kind of singing through like a cup of water at times or something like that. Like it just sounds like he's like a mile away on a lot of these tracks. And uh, I just uh, just didn't really find it very engaging. And I, I think like, you know, you mentioned that seeminess and that melodicness, but it just felt like boring at times. And like, man, I, I just did not expect to like go into this album with that i mean again he's, he's obviously trying something so like expand that that toolbox but just uh hopefully this isn't the direction he's gonna go continuously from now on yeah um, and you know i'd say like if, if you look li- li- listen to this which is a short listen there's some moments like i think treat you better that sounded like a more traditional kirky song so i can hold out hope that i'll maybe go back down that road um mm-hmm. on the other side of things like sunset which is definitely an r&b track that hook kind of like you know especially like um you know the i just want to fuck right now stuff kind of giving me some like trey song vibes in terms of his just Mm. his explicitness in in, in his uh writing um and also the first track take uh my chance i really liked how he pitched up his vocals on that hook i did think that sounded good but yeah a lot of like his like sung verses in particular i think you kind of lose interest quickly but he definitely has like it he definitely has like hook writing uh, strengths. I think that's pretty clear, especially in his work with other people. So, yeah, you know, uh, it's a miss for sure for me. But actually, I think most interesting thing I noticed about this album was that if you look on Spotify, it's released under Blacksmith Recordings. Pro Era is nowhere to be seen. Hmm. Didn't know hmm. that. Did Kirk leave Pro Era? Is just just he has a separate deal now? What's that mean? I don't know because. CJ Fly and Nick Caution have released recently and they were still on PE. So we know Pro Air is still a label. Uh, I tweeted at Kirk. He didn't respond. So we'll find out one day. Uh, well, hopefully he gets back to you. Um, I, I agree. I think Treat You Better is probably the 
highlighted for me as well. But um, why don't we move on to another artist who uh, I think we I think we like a little bit more than Kirk Knight. Do we? I don't know. I, I guess I like Young Thug more than, than Kirk Knight. I certainly Knight. do. Um, Young Thug dropping punk. Um, you know, an album that I think was fairly anticipated. I saw I saw a lot of like people getting hyped for mm-hmm. it in the lead up this past week. Yeah, Thug has some some like big fans, which is funny because I never really think of him as like I don't know. I always think of him as like a like a sidekick kind of, which I think is just uh. because I see him kind of hop onto these tracks, do these spots, and yeah, I feel like he usually levels up a lot of his his guest spots and, and the songs that he's on. Right. He brings his own vibe for sure. But I never really, I think for me, I never really was a huge fan of him only because um, I think when I listen to rap, I don't really listen to rap for the kind of rap that Young Thug makes. It is very melodic. Um, It's a very specific vocal performance. And we get a lot of that on punk. But I think there's some some highs and some lows on this. I think it's good at times and very not good Mm. at times. What about you? Yeah, that's kind of been how I felt about Thug. He's someone who I think commands a lot of justly earned respect as a luminary of Atlanta rap for the past nine years, eight years or so. And I I remember when the Mount Rushmore thing on Twitter was going off a few months ago, a lot of people calling for uh, Young Thug to have a spot over, say, someone like J. Cole. You know, Young Thug has a lot of fans. I think that is because he can do a lot of different things, album to album, mixtape to mixtape. You don't know where Young Thug is going next. Part of that, as you said, is a unique uh, style of vocal performance to try and explain it in some way, you know? Uh, but just also, he'll bounce around production, right? You know, like, beautiful Thugger girls, that's, that's, that's for the ladies, man, you know? Mm-hmm. And then Barter Six... That's for the dudes, you know, like he can give you some hard trap. He can give you some light R&B. He can do kind of both. And coming off of so much fun, which was technically his debut album back in 2019, even though he's got like a litany of projects at this point. So much fun is my favorite Thug album, Thug Project. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was kind of like the perfect distillation of like what Thug does as a performer. So I was hoping to get more of so much fun leading into punk. And he didn't go in that direction, which is cool. And I guess shame on me for expecting Thug to do the same thing twice, you know? <laughs> so I still respect it, but it, it's not my favorite Thug on Pop. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, I think what, like, the tracks that stood out most to me um, probably were, like, Stressed. I really like Stressed. I thought J. Cole and T-Shine mm-hmm. were yep. working well with, with Thug on that. Um, I liked uh the song with Juice World, rich yes. shit. Yeah, that, that was that was a high quality out. juice feature for sure, posthumous feature. Yeah, and I even like like the next track, living it up with Post Malone and ASAP Rocky. You know, it's more melodic and very like radio friendly. Very uh, Post Malone. Yeah, very Post Malone. But I still liked like the bop to it. I think it starts getting a little bit. It loses me a little bit near the the back half. You know, like a song like Love You More. I get the like sweetness of it. I, I, and I think like overall, it's not necessarily a bad song, but just not a song that I want to really listen to. Right. Yeah. Nate Especially Lewis on, like, from the clouds. Guy. Where did that come from? <laughs> um, and it, I did, I did like him though. Um, following that up with hate the game, like <laughs> just follow that up immediately with a song that like pretty much undercuts the song right before it, or is like right. a nice, like, I don't know, yin, yin and yang. So yeah, appreciate that. But yeah, I think overall I, I left like, with not as many standouts as I expected to. I guess maybe the the Drake and Travis Scott track was memorable, but mostly for the switch up. I think the when Drake's verse comes on, right? But I, 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 w- I would say I don't even think the Drake feature is that great. I think it's kind of like a throwaway copy paste from Drizzy there. Oh, uh, so you just mean basically what we got on Certified Lover Boy? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What song stood out to you? It's a good question. I guess Contagious is pretty good. 
you mentioned the juice song i liked icy hot with doja i thought doja in particular just had a really nice performance there um i actually thought gunna for the most part wasn't too bad on this obviously i don't need three gunna features you don't but you know <laughs> they're on the same label so makes sense yeah. that they be together um mac feature sounds really nice you know it does. um that, that, that was cool but you know i'm like not to harken back to so much fun but like i didn't hear a hot on here i didn't hear a bad 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 on here i didn't hear uh london you know in terms of a jake cole and a, and a thug song you know mm-hmm. uh for me i just like the, the type of banger i like from thug i found more on there and also if you you know you think back to early earlier thug bangers whether it's like best friend or stoner or um danny glover like he's, he's kind of like more has like more wild vocal performance on those mm-hmm. songs you know from like six years ago and on and on this it seemed i don't know i just i can't put my finger on it, i guess but i just i was just a little disappointed with, with thug himself on this and mm. he seems to be getting a lot of love for this though to be honest so maybe it's just me yeah you know i i I think this is a hit or miss album for me. I do have to say, really love the um, cover art. Yes. Uh, very cool. Very like intricate. Appreciate someone that puts a lot of time into their cover art like that. Um, speaking to the cover, if you go look at so much fun's cover, once again, like the punk cover, zoom in and you see more detail. You see more uh, artistic uh, thought, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of commissioning a real album cover. You, you got to, uh respect that from thug keeping that going in the age of the certified lover boy and donda covers you know <laughs> yeah no absolutely and uh, i think really our take is like or what we're casting is there's some good stuff but just not uh not consistent enough for us yeah. to i mean he just got better stuff in my opinion but that's the thing about thug he contains so many multitudes that to someone else this is his best stuff and he's right. one of the few artists that can really, I think, have that kind of response where he makes all different kinds of things for all different kinds of people, I guess. Yeah. And I guess after we just talked about an album that someone tried something and it really didn't work for us, respecting the ability to have quality versatility is uh, no small feat. So right. shout out to Thug. Shout out to Punk. Dave, do you feel like Phineas... I don't even know where I was going to go. Do you feel like Phineas is as versatile as Young Thug? No, uh, I don't think well, not, so. Not as a performer. He's a talented <laughs> guy, though. That, yeah. that, that much is known as a multi-instrumentalist and a Grammy award-winning. Yeah, arranger of songs, writer, mm-hmm. co-writer of songs. We know, we, know, we know he's a talented guy, but obviously his uh, collaboration work with his more famous sister is a little more... Uh, tried and true than his uh solo performance yeah (laughs) so i mean i think that's that's the that's the thing i could just kept coming back to as i listened to phineas's debut album optimistic we've heard some tracks from him you know uh, here and there optimist sorry um i just i feel like he does a lot of the same stuff billy does but just not as good and um I don't mean to like bag on him. Like he obviously uh, is a very talented guy, like you said, but it's just really hard to listen to him and hear a lot of the stuff Billy does and just not be like, well, I just want to go listen to a Billy Eilish album right now, yeah. you know? Well, so. I would even take it a step further. I feel like he gives his be- best stuff to Billy. Yeah. You th- know, that's probably this, true. This, how much of this could just be leftovers? How much of this could he maybe have actually, intended to at one point help write for billy and then it didn't make happier than never so it ends up on the phineas album i I don't know you know i'm sure not all of it but maybe maybe some of it maybe some of the ideas because he's got a lot of quote unquote ideas on this from a lyrical perspective but i think as a songwriter it's a lot more heavy-handed than you would expect for someone who has got a lot of just credit for his songwriting already obviously for his work with billy so on the other hand i i actually thought it sounded more interesting than a lot of happier than ever obviously the second billy album a little more mellow 
than I think most people expected. And there's some exceptions, of course. Oxytocin, therefore I am, do not apply here. But for this this Phineas album, I was like, oh, there's actually, you know, some like really nice piano uh, on this. And oh yeah, you know, in general, he, he he's a talented instrumentalist, and I believe he is the sole writer, producer, and instrumentalist on mm-hmm. all these songs but one. So he, there was a lot of intentionality still, you know. So I kind of have two minds about this one. Yeah, uh, I I agree with with what you're saying about the um, the quality of the the songs in terms of like the sonics and the instrumentals and the arrangement of it all. I think he's incredibly uh, talented with that, and and the songs sound pretty good. Like I I think I just did not really feel like there were uh, any tracks that totally grabbed me on this. Um, there's a few that stood out. I liked uh, the kids are all dying. I thought uh, I think that's the second track. Yeah, nice um, piano there. Yeah, really enjoyed that one. Um, I liked Medieval, which, yep. um, you know, <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about a medieval movie in a little bit, but <laughs> the, the clapping and the drums in that together, I thought, mm. really perked up the album a bit for me. Um, Around My Neck was another track yep. that stood out to me. Um, seems like we liked a lot of the same ones, huh? Yeah, you know, it's actually funny to think, too, because... Uh, on medieval he seems to be kind of uh you know theorizing about internet celebrity and how that culture waxes and wanes and you get chewed out and spit out and all that and yet i don't know if he's actually ends up saying anything super profound on that song like i I get what you're talking about but -hmm. it's almost a little too basic lyrically same thing with um the 90s oh yeah which I felt like that was a mess. Just kind of a bland nostalgia thing from a, you know, lyrical standpoint, but also doesn't sound too bad in terms of like the actual performance and the production. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, but as you say, it's kind of hard to separate it because we have a higher lyrical standard already established because of his work with his sister. Mm-hmm. Like, so around my neck, I think is one of the best examples of a song that sounds like it probably is a b-side from a billy album that just like they're like ah we just don't need that for this because it's that like groove the is like a very billy almost like trademark i feel like in a yeah sense. the first really album out. and then um you know i think even like the first one a concert six months from now feels like a leftover from happier than ever you know it's like that guitar like kind of simplified mm. sound that I get what they're going for and like that heartbreak, you know, album song, but just not really, uh, not really something that stood out to me, but I did want to say the, um, the last track, how it ends. I thought it was a nice way to wrap the album up. I like the groove on that one. Yeah. I like the clapping with it and just, you know, you see why them together as a pair makes a lot of sense. Cause I feel like Billy brings a bit more of a, a star and vocal performance that Phineas just doesn't have at this point, but he's right. obviously super talented in the production and arrangement side. So sometimes uh, duos are a good thing. So, yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't rule out him becoming uh, improving down the line as a soloist oh, either, not. given the talent. So uh, we'll stay tuned. No question about that. Absolutely. And we'll probably throw one of his tracks onto our nostalgia best of 2021 as well as our guys cold play dave one of your favorite rock groups of all time <laughs> i understand uh dave give me your quick just like general cold play take uh i just want something just like this uh <laughs> no uh i have never been a huge cold play guy in terms of uh you know modern bands like i've gravitated to other acts that's all you know um I like some of the hits like uh, uh, Viva La Vida, for example. I remember that yeah. coming out at a, you know, notable time during high school. I, I don't even think I really knew Coldplay was until that whole album cycle happened, to be honest. I didn't know about the early stuff as a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then like now, now I just see them as a legacy act. And we talked about that a lot with the uh, last album, their eighth album that came out in November 2019. Everyday and- Life. Right, and it's funny to reflect on that album after the album we just got, Music of the Spheres, album nine. Yep. 
Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, the evolution of Coldplay, um, they've always kind of been this band that fluctuates back and forth. And this is like the most extreme example we can have, especially this like album run of A Head Full of Dreams to Everyday Life to Music of the Spheres, not including the live album in between there, going from a huge anthemic, you know, pop rock album to a stripped down acoustic guitar driven album back to music of the spheres which is right back on the horse and we're flying high through the galaxy baby on these uh pop rock uh edm fucked songs dude yeah and, i like it more and and, and that's what's funny too because i literally watched our review of uh everyday life and i was like you know i respect the uh the the desire to go down the stripped down route and not just capitulate to uh, homogeneous pop as you see your commercial viability waning as your band gets into their third decade and it's like 22nd decade well it turns out that's exactly what they did on the next album because <laughs> the stripped down album is their least successful album commercially it's like oh wow yeah. who could have seen this coming yeah man um and and they really go for it on this and you know what i I really liked a couple of the tracks on this. I have to say, like, I don't think there's stand by it, man. There's not it's anything pop, here. Man. That's there's nothing like, wrong with good pop. Yeah, and there's nothing here that's like top tier Coldplay. Like, there's nothing here that's like Yellow or The Scientist or anything like that. But I do think like Higher Power and Humankind are like decent pop rock Coldplay songs. You know. Um, I think higher power, especially like near the ending, just finishes up really strong, like really finds a nice groove in the second half. It's got that 80s vibe that pretty much every like pop rock band has to infuse into its albums at this point. But I think I think they do it pretty well. Did you like that track? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, Max Martin is like the chief creative officer of this album. You know, the the man behind yeah, the man behind melodic math, you know, you know, it's a decent fit. Like you said, um, I think sonically, you can understand the intent in terms of just making pop. I, I would hardly call a lot of this pop rock, to be honest. I would just say it's it's, it's more or less Straight mainstream pop. pop these days, yeah. you know. Um, actually, People of the Pride, that song stood out to me because there's actually like big guitar and drums on that, which mm-hmm. is so unlike most of the rest of the album. Um, but I guess Martin found a way, you know, it's like, we want to, we want to make a pop record. What should we do What's to our strengths? And he managed to figure it out, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, there's one song that uh, stood out to me because I think it's actually legitimately really good. And that song just went number one, Coldplay's second song ever to do this first since uh, Viva La Vida. And that would, of course, be My Universe with BTS. Yeah. It, I mean, that's, that's the clear standout on here. It also sounds like it starts off with a live performance, which yeah. I don't know if that's actually true or they just pumped the I crowd. I think it's a sample. In. But um, yeah, I think it really stands out. And obviously, if you get BTS on a track, it's most likely going to go number one. But I still think the song's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, um, no one would call late period Coldplay like lyrical masterminds. It's never been uh, a strength of Chris Martin, even if you asked him. But in the case of my universe, taking most of the songwriting and vocal performance out of Chris Martin's hands and just letting him basically do, I want something just like this all over again. Yeah. On the chorus, you know, it works because I think you get a really tremendous BTS feature. Uh, Jungkook on the pre-chorus, Jimin in that second verse, and then Suga on the next Mm pre-chorus. I thought all those guys sounded tremendous. Yeah, man. I think it's a really lovely pop song and they did a really nice job with the video. I think too, in terms of having all the BTS guys look like holograms because they were not obviously in the same location making this video, but they did a really, really cool job with that. And also fits kind of the aesthetic of the, you know, the, this universe, this universe, this music of the spheres, these emoji songs, you know, all that. But yeah, I think yeah. my universe is legitimately a really good track. Yeah. I think my universe is good. Um, going back, humankind i really like the ending like the last minute there's really like some strong like guitar and uh rock elements in there and i also really respect coloratura which 10 minute track but like they go for it and there's like piano breaks and 
like guitar riffs in there and some like nice chanting and i'm like hey they like took a swing at the end of this album it's obviously not going to get them a lot of commercial success but it seems a lot more like they're building out these like live huge anthemic performances which is pretty cool um you know you do have to kind of wade through some some crap (laughs) in my opinion let somebody go with selena i thought was just not very good at all Mm. um beautiful uh, i don't know didn't totally work for me um and the the heart song i think it is i also <laughs> didn't really like I, th- that's the other thing just like the emoji tracks i'm like what are we doing here <laughs> i don't know these guys are in their mid 40s <laughs> like come yeah. on now like what is going on but it's just like gimmicky you know it's yeah. not like it's creative or it's funny gimmicky. or anything it's, it's just weird it's gimmicky for who? Like a teenager? Like a 13-year-old? Yeah, I don't like, think they're impressed by this either because they're not they're listening not to this except to for this, the yeah. BTS song. <laughs> exactly. They're like, oh, well, here's the BTS song. Now I can close this album and never open it again. Put it on a playlist. Um, so yeah, I don't know who that's for, but you know, this album, I expected much worse. So overall, I'm pleased with this Coldplay performance. I'm sure we'll see them doing a lot of festivals next year so shout out to Coldplay. they're they're also great lives so if you can catch them live i really recommend it so finding a way to uh stand out one way or another when you're on your ninth album you know yeah okay deserves some credit at the very least well again nostalgia best of 2021 on spotify but dave finally succession is back and really funny note to start with friend of the pod sean mckenna uh, OG guest of the pod. The funniest thing right. about That's uh, right. Game of Thrones deep dive 2016 audio yeah. only, baby. <laughs> uh, he texted me today. He said, "Hey, do you like Succession?" I said, "Yeah, I love Succession." And he's like, "I've never." Sounds like you're not subscribed at YouTube.com/slash/nostalgiapod. <laughs> oh, he's well, he's definitely subscribed, but obviously just not watching our Succession breakouts. Which, uh, if you want to go back and check those out, but. Um, he asked me, he's like, what season are they on? I said, oh, it's season three. Just started last night. He's like, I could have sworn it was like season five. I feel like I've just been hearing about it so much for so long. Right. And I was like, well, the break of, of COVID last year and not being able to release season three, getting uh, has, having this extended, um, I don't know, amplification, this extended hype True. for it has mm-hmm. kind of made it exist in the consciousness, I think, a lot longer. And also, it's just a sensation, just the sort of thing where like, Sean, who is obviously not watching the show, is just getting a lot of content about Succession because the show fucking rules, dude. It's probably the like the best show on HBO right now. It's saying a lot. Yeah, no, I, I would say it's the best show currently on TV. Mm. You know, I mean, it's I believe it, the last season, season two, 2019 and to 2019. That didn't make my number one show of the year, but that was only because Fleabag season two and Watchmen also happened in 2019. It was a completely stacked, you know, top three there. Mm-hmm. And I believe 2018 Succession was my number one show, I, ha- I believe. Unless Atlanta came out the same year, I don't remember. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the hype is, is clearly real. The, you can see all the content, you know, sites and creators are making about it. And it seems to be working because this... Uh, season three premiere set new ratings records for them already you know i believe season two was getting like five million viewers you know once you count all the various metrics so i, I would like to see exactly how far season three can go because it's not actually succession has never been as popular as say like big little lies or the outsider or you know the undoing hbo has had bigger hits recently than succession but i think we all know because of how good it is it's already getting a lot of Emmy attention. It should get there and become, you know, one of the, if not their most popular show until, you know, like House of the Dragon comes out. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. And I think probably one of the best signs for this show and just its growth over time, because I think a lot of people had the same reaction in the uh, the first season or the first couple episodes. It's really hard to root for these people. Um, and uh, Alan Seppenwall, who's a TV critic that we like a lot, has come around himself on Mm -hmm. this show and like this. So even the people who didn't like it, the first couple of seasons, just say it's undeniable at this point. And season three kicked off last night, as we mentioned, uh, Kendall versus Logan uh, episode one titled secession, which Mm -hmm. I thought was pretty clever. 
Um, Dave, did, did you like the premiere of season three? Oh, of course. Because that's the thing about succession. The show only knows how to throw 99 miles an hour. There is no other speed. It's so good. And Jesse Armstrong, the creative force behind the show, he's just so in sync with what he wants from these characters, what he wants from these storylines. There's never any dead weight. And season three picks off immediately where season two ended, which is obviously a great choice, you know? And the momentum is still there. But just in general, like all these characters continue to act how you expect them to act. There's like never any like confusion or leaps of logic. And it's always just so riveting and so dramatic. And this just kept it going. Yeah. And, and the, just the setup and the storytelling at this point, this season basically kicking off with, like I said, the Kendall versus Logan um, like duel, so to speak, where, you know, Kendall just exposed all of the sexual harassment and sexual assault cover ups uh, from the Royco company, right. um, pinning it all on his dad, saying he knew everything that was going on. Um, they paid people to cover it up. Uh, and now he's trying to make a play for, whatever is next whether he's trying to take over the company um you know see where things go but having everybody else in the middle you know shiv shiv seems to be teetering and you see that throughout the episode which side is she gonna fall on um you know jerry gets named as the successor to logan at the end of the episode which i actually think is an interesting choice and um you know Jerry, for as much as she's been a loyal soldier, does not seem the type of person that will just take that role lightly um, and just be a puppet for Logan. So very interested to see how that plays out. Um, obviously, uh, you bring in all of the the Kendall, like <laughs> just being a piece of shit, like his girlfriend comes into his ex-wife's house where he's like setting up his like yeah. uh, his battle ranks. Ridiculous. Yeah. Just crazy stuff but there's there's so much good stuff obviously kieran culkin is roman i feel like he's a little shit the whole time but like you see his like insecurities just come out yeah everybody is just on their a game right right off the bat yeah and the characterization goes so deep at this point too watching how logan uh you know methodically determining who will and also who won't be the interim ceo in his stead you know, I mean, it just makes makes so much sense, right? But like you yeah. said, that ruthlessness might have turned some people off in the beginning. You know, obviously, it's well known that the Roy family is a stand-in for the Murdochs, and ATN is a stand-in for Fox. It's kind of you kind of have to not have a pulse, I think, to not understand that at this point. But the drama and 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 the performances and and the writing, the writing is so great. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's. It just really is tremendous. And, you know, that Shiv 180 at the end after feeling slighted once again, assumingly going towards Kendall. On the other hand, it's really cool that you never really can predict anything about the show because there's so much backstabbing. There's so much, you know, 180s from the characters. And just in general, when they talk to each other, they often don't say what they mean or can barely say anything for fear of saying something they don't mean or letting someone know what they really think, you know, the mind games, the, the levels to the mind games. Mm-hmm. So awesome. And obviously, I think comedically, that's often played a great effect with Cousin Greg and Tom. But yeah. I mean, the ensemble is really rich at this point, you know. Um, uh, Jay Smith Cameron has mm-hmm. really become a big part of, the, part of the show, too, kind of expanded beyond the immediate family at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, you get some good cu- Cousin Greg moments in the like right off the bat the hey uh you know if you're okay in there let me know or we got to break the door down i don't know <laughs> if i can actually do that but <laughs> overall the internet's uh, positive but the, the negative ones you know that they, they do have a way of standing out or however he says it i mean <laughs> yeah also, nick braun just knows the exact tenor to play the character yeah and just you know excellent you also get the phone call where Kendall and Logan are talking through the woman who answers Kendall's phone. I think it's like his lawyer or some like assistant or something like that. Just really funny moment. Um, Yeah, man, I, I, I'm just so excited for this season and it's just uh, really nice to have a succession back in our life. Uh, Feels like somewhat of a return to normalcy amid, you know, obviously uh, absolutely unnormal times. 
Right. And I just think back to the end of season two and just how like cinematically beautiful that finale was and just mm. how like perfect of an episode of like television it really was. And I'm sure we're going to be getting a lot more of that sort of stuff in this season. So yeah, totally. Um, very excited for this. I'm really happy that they are not doing COVID in any way in this story. They're just sticking to their, their actual story. Great choice. And, you know, like last year we had Danny Houston, Holly Hunter show up. This year we're getting Alexander Skarsgård and Adrian Brody joining the yeah. show in some capacity. Just really exciting stuff. Yeah, when uh, when you make a show this good, people want to be a part of it. So, um, you know, it really are. It's funny because what we're saying is Succession still great. So if you haven't watched Sean McKenna, tune in, catch up. <laughs> um, but Dave, was the last duel as great as Succession? Maybe not as great as Succession. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, but, that's a that's a high bar. But I think the last duel is great, and it's a big shame that a uh, older uh, people are not going to the see this movie in the theaters because it had a very poor box office performance, which is yeah. unfortunate. I was gonna say we might think it's great, but we are like two of like a hundred people who seem to go this weekend because uh, yeah. only made what four point eight million, correct domestically on a big budget. Obviously, this is a uh, uh, Fox inheritance from uh, from uh, for for Disney and. You know, this movie had a lot of you know, a lot of hype behind it, a lot of uh, pedigree, which goes without saying. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon reuniting once again to write a film, bringing Nicole Hall of Center in on top of that another world class, uh, you know, f- uh, creator at this point who's just coming off a screenplay Oscar nomination at that for uh, Can't You Ever Forgive Me, you know, having Adam Driver join the cast, having Affleck take a different part in 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 as a result, Ridley Scott continuing to work and all the ingredients that you expect from like big adult dramas, you know, and star vehicles and all that. And I think one of the lessons people have been talking about for the past few months is that older audiences are the most reluctant to return to the box office. You saw that with Bond doing well, but not as well as, say, Venom, which is being driven by younger you know, audiences. In the case of Last Duel, the audience is extremely uh dependent on older people and they're just not uh not going at this time and you know maybe then maybe it's a marketing problem as well who's to say but unfortunately the movie did not uh latch on which i think is a shame because i think the movie's really good yeah you know it's definitely my top 10 movies for this year i don't know if that's saying a lot or not a lot of the most anticipated ones are still to come but um i don't think it's been a bad year for movies by any stretch and so for it to be top 10 i think is really good um I really appreciate a lot about this film. I think there were some things that I wish were a little bit different. I feel like this also could have been like 20 minutes shorter than it was. Um, but you know, that's that you can say that for a lot of movies and it's also Ridley Scott. So l- let him vamp, let him do what he's got to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, movie looks great. Let's start with that. You know, like it looks very much of that period. Um, 1300s the, France. Yeah. Uh, I think 1400s even, but. Yeah, um, like th- I think it starts in 1386, something like that. Yeah, yeah. something around that that period. Pre-Crusades, medieval Europe. Yeah. And um, you know, uh, I think I think the the storytelling mechanism of the chapters, right? The first chapter where it's from, um, uh, it's not Jacques, it's uh, Jean Jean Caru Caru Um. Uh, who's played by Damon. And the second chapter is from the perspective of Jacques Lagree, who's played by Adam Driver. And then the last one is from Jodie Cummers, Marguerite. Um, And also just kind of like the stylistic choices that come along with that are really interesting. And uh, it's an interesting way to tell a story. Um, You do relive a lot of moments and that feel like they could be, you know, yada yada a bit, but that's okay. Um, and then, man, great climax to this movie. I feel like there's a lot of like intensity built into all these scenes. I think I just, I think it, it was, it just has left me with a lot of thoughts as to like why certain characters were the ones who got put in certain positions hmm. or like, like why, why uh, Jean went first in the storytelling as opposed to someone else, you know? Oh, I know. I think that was clearly uh, the correct choice though. 
I, I think so too. But it's yeah. funny because like even like Comer um, Marguerite in the in the first telling is so like more like stripped down and like intentionally I think like stand out. And then as it goes through, she just becomes like a shining light throughout the film. Yeah, and I think it's it's really well done. And Comer I think is obviously the one who grows the most in the movie as her perspective is more and more fleshed out. And that seems to be one of the themes that the movie tries to get of to. Course. Um, but yeah, you just end up really disliking pretty much everybody except for her. Right. Yeah. 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 And, but that was what surprised me the most about the film was the organization of the script. As you said, you know, a movie like this medieval setting climaxing in a epic duel one v one this could have just been been mainly that but it's not actually that because it's thematically interested in so many uh you know i think richer things and starting with damon starting with uh garu and seeing how his perspective of himself is a lot different from reality right like he starts off as like you know a noble man really indebted to the the church to the crown sees himself as good and he sees himself as a just person and you know a loving loving husband as well right and watching that progress as we get the other perspectives coming in starting with uh Legree, you know he's like oh wait no this guy's actually kind of prickly you know he's mm-hmm. kind of vain and pedantic about um you know titles and things like that and people just don't seem to like him at court he's just kind of a dick you know, not not that cool. And then again, third time when you see Comer's perspective, oh wait, no, this guy actually is also really cold to his wife and, and not actually like a good man in that regard right. either. You know, I just love the way they break Damon down and credit to Damon for really uglying himself up and being a really oh, unlikable yeah. character. You know, obviously it starts off with like that scar, which just makes mm-hmm. him, you know, not as handsome, but the and way the they stupid hair. So yeah. Yeah, oh, totally. And and the way the way they the way they break him down, uh, I, I loved it. You know, mm-hmm. but um, you know, act, and like I love the way they starts it off with Act Two, and it's like, you know, you get a Legree's perspective, Driver's perspective. It's like, oh, oh, I see what this movie's doing now. Wow, interesting. Mm-hmm. And this obviously leads itself to you know, great moments of levity from Ben Affleck's Pierre, the local lord, yeah. who just complete camp performance it's tremendous so funny Affleck destroys this movie dude just so absolutely. so crazy he chews on every single scene as many times as possible yeah amazing right. right and then then you got something that might be a little more controversial right it's because you see the assault happen from Legree's perspective she don't doth don't protest too much you know, to him, uh, it was supposed to happen. You know, blah blah blah. She Always had to. Oh, she's a lady. She had to scoff my advances, right? And then, then you see it again. You get a lot of other good things with the final, the truth performance, the Comer, uh, uh, or, or sorry, not performance, uh, POV. A lot of other things with that. But then you get that rape scene a second time, and you see it in an even more heinous fashion, and you know the real fashion, which may, obviously makes sense given that sexual assault. I think for some people, seeing a sexual assault twice uh, on screen, probably not something they're super jazzed to do, but I do think the movie you know, kind of hits home thematically what it's going for, especially when you get to the trial stuff mm-hmm. and how at every turn, the church and the prosecution and yada yada, everyone's trying to poke holes in her story, but even like deeper than that, right? It's like uh, Karu, you know, Damon, he's only concerned about the assault in terms of how it affects him and how Legree is like stabbing him in the back once again by raping my wife. He's like never actually concerned with the well-being of his, his wife. And you don't actually get, get that like final like nail in his like character until you're and like, this two man hours only do evil to me. Can this right. man only do evil to me? And what was it that the uh, priest said that rape is not actually a woman's concern. It's more, it's a man's property like right uh concern yeah. just really awful and hideous stuff yeah and then then you know after all that you know all these revelations and a new piece of information learned about our, our characters then you actually get the duel and the duel is still really epic you know and mm-hmm. you know damon's lording over 
driver like he's fucking Oberyn from Game of Thrones yelling confess, you know? Oh. Great vibes. So I mean and and that that final like dagger through the head, dude. Like visceral. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> um but you, I think like you make a really good point about the like growth of the characters in this because really I think the most meaningful interaction or conversation that happens in the whole movie is between uh, Peru's mom and um, Ma- Marguerite when she says yes. like, who are you to like do this? And like, potentially my son's going to die now. And she's like, well, this happened to me. This was awful. And she's like, well, it happened to me too. And I just right. went on with it because, you know, that's just what people do during this time pretty much. And then Marguerite later on before they have to go to the duel is saying I would have made the same choice if I had had this child before, um, before, right. uh, you know, uh, I, I, I brought all these allegations on him before I knew what was happening. And it's just really like, obviously heartbreaking, but like, I think just hammers home the like absurdity of this time and just the misogynistic atmosphere that just hovered over everything. It's just awful. Mm-hmm. But I think it really drives home that like this was a very brave thing. And like these men are the ones who are lorded and known in the story. But really the only one that did anything truly brave was Marguerite. Right. And I, I've seen that uh, kind of you said as a criticism as well as at the end, the movie ends with an epic conflict between the two men. And oh. at the end, Garou's still raising his fist all hyped that he fucking killed Legree. You know, mm-hmm. meanwhile, and, he's like bleeding out of his dick, basically. But oh, God, yeah, whatever. And yeah, man, like, I mean, I, but, you know, it might be a little on the nose to some, but like when they when they go after her at the trial, oh, you, you said Lagri was handsome as mm-hmm. if that has anything to do with you being raped, you know, but like that's yep. a lot of thinking that you still often will see today when it comes to that. It's like, oh, she was asking for her. What was she wearing? You know, we've heard this before, unfortunately. Yep, and that—that's why I just—I really love the movie because it has everything from a period level done at a really high level. Obviously, in terms of production values, the action, even the early action when you're seeing um, Damon in Scotland or his campaign, local campaign with with Driver. You know, the 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 sword, the sword and sandals fighting stuff is fun, but thematically, it just goes in a place that I didn't expect. You know, in terms of like late period Ridley Scott, you know. He hasn't, I don't think, made a movie this uh, involved in quite some time. And he's still made a lot of great movies in, you know, later in life. Look no further than The Martian with Damon. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was quite impressed. And did, yeah. I just didn't really see it coming. Yeah. You know, just to circle back to your point about, you know, where the, where the movie ends. It does, The actual final scene is Marguerite with her child in a field. And right. um, just just them, no one else, which I think is great. And then you get the title cards that, you know, uh, Karu is, goes on the Crusades and dies, and right. uh, which is just really, really funny. Like, yeah, it's such a poetic. Yeah. My theater kind of laughed. I, I, I saw it earlier screening, so it was fuller than I'm sure most people's theaters. And everyone kind of chuckled. It's like, yeah, fucking of course you die in the Crusades. Of course. (laughs) And and then uh, Marguerite goes on to run her estate by herself for 30 years and never remarry. So shout out to her. Um, Yep. Yeah. And I just I I, I just want to say, like, Jodie Comer um, really having a a hell of a year on the big screen. You know, I haven't seen Free Guy, but like pretty much everything I I saw about that she just slayed it. And then to get the star turn that she does in this and I was really worried because, like you said, from uh, Korea's perspective, it's all about him and not very much about her other than that this thing happens and it drives him forward to do stuff. Right. And then she comes out more and more as each uh, story gets told. And it's just really wonderful to see her break out in the end. I thought she was fantastic. So Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned uh, her scenes with Karu's mom. The mom played by Harry Walter, of course. Comer and Walter have a lot of chemistry from Killing Eve. Mm-hmm. And Comer seems to have left a good impression on Ridley Scott because she was recently cast in his, the movie he's about to make next, Kit Bag, which is a movie about Napoleon Bonaparte starring Joaquin Phoenix, mm-hmm. making that next year. But of course, we're getting another Ridley Scott movie in between these two because House of Gucci is coming out in a month. Because oh, Ridley Scott... Yeah despite being 83 years old, is just a goddamn legend. 
and you get you love to see it. But yeah, to your point, Jody Comer, I, th- I think you know the name is getting out there. P- people know now, and obviously it was abundantly clear from Killing You season one that she was a tremendous talent. But she's also getting the parts, and that's awesome. Yep. Also, want to shout out uh, Alex Lothar. Yes. Um, who plays, I think, a great King Charles. You know, a king who is known for his like mental illness and psychotic episodes. So, uh, I just thought he stood out every time that they showed him on screen. Really fun. Great. And once um, again, shout out Affleck, man. Really, honestly, awesome. Affleck in that that wig and and the blonde wig and a goatee and just being a total fuck boy is like just great stuff so oh man uh we should wrap up there but dave we got a lot more movies to get to next week right that's right two huge ones dune warner brothers hbo max denny Villeneuve, and then everyone we stand timothy chalamet zendaya oscar isaac etc etc much hyped film finally here not seeing it on hbo max because i'm a real one going to the theater anyway french dispatch also coming out wes anderson gotta go to the theater regardless to see that no choice also starring timothy chalamet among others very fun uh insecure the final season is coming on hbo insecure succession sunday nights from here on out very exciting and then musically Parquet Courts, a band that we liked quite a bit a few years ago, coming back. And then allegedly, Londell Ray's second album of the year, Blue Bannisters, is coming out. So I'll believe it when I see it. We'll see about that, but who knows? Um, So yeah, big stuff next week. Tune in for 40 minutes of Dune Talk, no doubt. Um, (laughs) Hit that subscribe on YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. Uh, soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod at nostalgiapod on twitter and nostalgia best of 2021 on spotify catch you next week yeah.